0: so john levy i've got your name right is that right yes you do okay um i'm gonna ask a lot of dumb questions i'm sure please consider this just a conversation i've been doing interviews for so long i'm trying to learn how to actually speak with people instead of talking (laughs) at them you know and uh uh, so i want i want to start at the beginning, for me, I've always been fascinated, and I think everybody's fascinated by show business and especially TV and movies, and everybody involved in the whole process. Uh, what is a casting director? I mean, it sounds like the name should be self explanatory, but I'm sure that there's a lot about it that I really don't understand. Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I just one of the
1: things that I, uh, that's unique about my story is that. By the time I was in my early to mid-30s, I had never heard of a casting director. Uh, so uh, that I became one is something of a, a, a miracle and a joke. Um, well, what were you doing uh, at that time? Uh, well, I, I, when I first met a casting director, it was 1980, and I had, the, uh, I had a director's fellowship in the theater here in L.A. at the Mark Taper Forum. I was pursuing directing for the theater although I had run away from New York so uh
0: <laughs> let, me, let me interrupt you just there for a second because I I'm trying to remember where I heard this and I believe I heard you tell it I think it was on the West Wing Weekly podcast with uh, with uh, Josh and a uh, fellow whose name I can never remember and probably have trouble pronouncing and I feel bad about that but I think he, you did mention something about how that all started for you, and I—I I was thinking, you went from virtually—I can't remember what your past was. You can remind me, but you went from virtually nowhere to suddenly you're at the Mark Taper Forum, yeah. <laughs> dealing with new, new, uh, new works and so forth. What exactly kind of jump is that? It, it was quite a jump. I, I was very
1: fortunate because I was directing a play uh, called "The Night of the 20th about a group of Eastern European Jewish kids who had left their parents' money and oppressive political ideas to go to someplace called Israel that wasn't really called Israel yet. And they formed one of the early kibbutz. That was what the play was about. And it so closely mirrored my own experience as a sort of 60s hippie Um, you know being part of a a commune which was the American version of a kibbutz and uh, uh, so this play really spoke to me and I was very fortunate to cast a young actor uh, in the role of sort of the poet uh, sensitive and probably gay character Um, a young actor by the name of Jeremy Lawrence who happened to be in a domestic relationship, a romantic relationship with a man who was the head of audience development at the Mark Taper Forum. Mm. And Bob uh, Schlosser, who was the guy who worked at the Taper, uh, kept hearing from Jeremy about how the play was going in rehearsal and uh, and then came to see a preview and was very impressed. Um And so eventually he got Gordon Davidson, the late wonderful uh, artistic director at the Mark Taper Forum to come to see an early show. And Gordon came with a guy called Jules Irving who uh, was later very involved in the Lincoln Center in New York. And they both were um, pleased with the production and my work. And Gordon called me on the phone and offered me what was supposed to be the NEA Director's Fellowship. Sadly, the woman who wrote the grants for the Taper missed the deadline, so I wasn't, I didn't get the NEA Director's Fellowship, but uh, Gordon, true to his word, gave me uh, a Mark Taper Forum
0: Fellowship. And, and uh, how, did you, how did your uh, career progress from there?
1: Well, during my stay at the Taper, I I was an assistant to uh, directors on the main stage, including the legendary Jose Quintero, who directed a production of Tennessee Williams' Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, when Kirstie Alley played Maggie. Wow. Pat Hingle was Big Daddy. Uh, I I did a bunch of that, but I also uh, did original work at the... uh, restaurant down the street, a literary cabaret called The Itchy Foot. Uh, I think that's I-T-C-H-A-Y, and that's something about Italy, which I never really understood. (laughs) Um, But we would do readings of uh, various kinds. Uh, I also directed new plays um, in a workshop with uh, actors and a dramaturg, and that's when I first experienced a casting director.
0: Your directorial work, obviously, you had uh, you had a, a natural eye and a feeling for a property and ability to see people. That must have just been something kind of innate with you. And I guess, I'm guessing that that has a lot to do with what you do now. Yeah, I, I think that's right. My mom took me to the theater as a
1: little boy, you know, sometimes to Broadway musicals. But also to utterly inappropriate off-Broadway plays, <laughs> and um, so I, I was exposed to performance and American naturalism as a young kid, and and uh, I gravitated towards it. And it, you know, I think um, most boys, uh, as they get from nine to thirteen and beyond, are a little bit lost and wonder what the hell they should be uh, doing and thinking and feeling sure. and, and expressing. And somehow the theater was like maybe what church or temple might be for somebody else, for me. I found myself in those quiet rooms. And, um, and later because of my experiences, uh, as a, when I became a casting director, I was able to speak the actor's language. I was able to speak the director's language, and I understood the writer's language as well. Although until I wrote this book with Trudy Roth, um, I'd never been a writer. <laughs> but um, you know, I did all of the sum total of my experiences and my uh, my intuitions and my skills and talents, I guess, uh, fed into my ability to uh, see all sides of the casting process and participate in it.
0: That's really interesting to me. Uh, first of all, you know, on my own level, I've done all those things and I've been, I've directed plays and I've been in plays and I've written plays that have been produced. And I know that what you're talking about is there are th- three distinctively different languages involved yeah and needs and expectations yeah and and the and the ability to translate uh from one language to the other is i i think it's uh probably a unique skill it it served me well and i i guess
1: it was my it was uh you know i think for all of us there's a great portion of our lives that are happy coincidences and lucky accidents. Right. sure. Um, and uh, I had those instincts and those early experiences, and somehow I was able to um, mix those ingredients up and cook a pretty good meal.
0: <laughs> Apparently so. You've got four prime primetime Emmys. Uh, so I'm, if I'm right, you've got uh, two for ER. And two for the West Wing, which is my all-time favorite TV show, which I would suppose you probably heard a few times. I have indeed. <laughs> <laughs> man, oh man, I can't, I cannot watch that uh, too many times. It's uh, you know, from, from Aaron Sorkin's writing to the uh, the uh, Tommy Shalami's uh, direction and everybody's performances, it's just amazing to me. So I want to start there sure. with you, if you would. Sure. And that is. Telling me about the process of how you got involved with the project for The West Wing, we'll kind of use this as an example for everything else you've done: Third Watch and China Beach and SEAL Team and Shameless and Head of the Class. And there's a list of other things that I didn't bother to jot down. But how does something like a new show, like a big new show with with established writers, producers, how does it how does it come to you?
1: Well, I, I, at that time, I was a vice president of casting at Warner Brothers Television. And um, John Wells, who I've worked with for many, many years uh, over a wide variety of projects, some of which you just named, um, the, the West Wing came to John uh, off of the success of ER uh, through Warner Brothers Television. Aaron had written the script and uh, Tommy got attached to to direct, and um, because I was John's guy, uh, I was foisted upon Aaron and Tommy, <laughs> uh, uh, and we all met. and um, They are um, a powerful they are powerful individuals in terms of their skills and their talents and their intellect and their reputations. Um, and it was, uh, it, it, I read the script and I just thought, damn, <laughs> this is good. Yeah. But the, you know, the common thought at the time was that politics on television don't work. And, um, uh, you know, so we, we went at it with a kind of, well, uh, it's a free swing. It's three and O oh, and he's going to throw a fastball down the middle and, Let's just see what happens. Would politics work now in this particular time in American history? Um, I I think you'd have to have somebody dressed up as a Democrat and somebody dressed up as a Republican, all greased up and punching the hell out of each other.
0: (laughs) I don't know if they could talk. I think that was one of the one of the one of the best parts about the West Wing was how it put everybody in in a bipartisan light but everybody was american and you sensed yeah. that and uh, you would see you know members of congress from different parties arguing on the uh, on the senate floor or something and then they'd go out and have drinks afterwards
1: and i guess exactly. i gather
0: i gather that sort of thing doesn't really happen anymore i
1: don't know well it may it may happen but they don't tell us about it anymore cuz it doesn't put a feather in anybody's cap yeah. to be seen consorting with the
0: enemy so, as a casting director, do you uh, are, are you are you involved in casting the principals as well as yes,
1: smaller, absolutely.
0: smaller? That's old? the major part of your job is is lining up the,
1: the series stars. Um, you know, in, in the original version of the sc- of the script, the teleplay, the president was not going to be a regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, he w- It was the West Wing was the star, uh, and it was about his staff not about the president himself excuse me so you know we we met i read the script and i read the script and i read the script and i read the script some more and then i met with aaron and tommy and john to talk about the script and to talk about the script some more and um, then we started having auditions and uh you know, Aaron had had his background in the theater in New York, and he had worked with Brad Whitford. And uh, he he loved Brad, and he knew Brad. He knew he wanted Brad somewhere in the picture. Uh, there's a, a a little myth that I somehow tried to block Brad from playing one of the parts, which is simply not true. But uh, we, we that that whole thing uh, tipped on Rob. Rob Lowe, uh, because Rob came in and read once and knocked the hell out of it and then took the position that he wasn't going to come back for a callback. He wasn't going to come back for what we call a chemistry read opposite any of the other actors. He wasn't going to test at the network
0: or the studio that he needed it to be a firm offer or he wasn't... I know he was an established uh, actor at that point, but it seems uh, seems like a tough way to get a job. <laughs> Walk in and tell somebody, yeah, it uh, is. You know, but it's a, it's a, a, a hardball
1: thing. It's a hardball thing that his manager, uh, the legendary Bernie Brillstein, uh, it, it just did, and so he, you know, he
0: came in and showed it to us once, and then he said, "If you want it, buy it." What uh, What was he reading? Because I understand that you were undecided at that point. Uh, if 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 um if Brad was going to play Josh or or, uh, or Sam Sam yeah
1: yeah well i mean i think for 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 uh for me what ended up happening was what was right uh, uh Josh is much more up Brad's alley and uh he was fantastic uh, as Josh and he would have been good as Sam but Rob Uh, you know, has more of the uh, I'm certain that I understand what's going on and uh, the world is going to come to me uh, because I'm incredibly handsome and charismatic and smart and charming, (laughs) and and I don't have any doubt. Whereas Josh Josh needed to portray, Brad as Josh, needed to portray that sort of Oh, damn, I'm not sure if I'm right. <laughs> uh, and and um, that, uh, a lot of, of the comedy came out of uh, uh, Brad's ab- ability to straddle both sides of an issue yeah. and wonder which one was the right way to play it, whereas there's no a- ambiguity uh, in, 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 uh, in Rob's performance. Rob is, sure.
0: I want, to, I want to ask you about uh, something I read last night. So I was getting ready for you. Uh, Richard Schiff, who just so fabulous as as Toby and everything else. And he's in that show now that I can't remember the name of uh, with the, with the very young doctor who is uh, yeah, uh, um, ADD or something, not ADD, but you know what I'm talking about. OCD. I think. Yeah, he's OCD. Anyway, I, I read that uh, in the entire seven years of the West Wing, Toby, Only smiled seven
1: times.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, that's
1: not surprising. Uh, On the very, very sad day that John Spencer died, uh, both on the show and in what we call real life, um, uh, we had a group uh, sort of memorial for... uh, for, for, for John. Yeah, and, you're talking um, about the character of Leo McGarry. Right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, um, and and Brad got up to speak at this memorial meeting and, and he took a little uh, piece of paper out of the inside pocket of his jacket and said, um, uh, uh, Richard Schiff is in New York doing a one-man show. He hates everybody in the cast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and we all laughed. Uh, you know... Scary. Every show needs to have an Eeyore. And right. Richard was the uh, just the ultimate Eeyore. He was uh, unhappy about everything. And as a result, so fantastically funny yeah. and underplayed and just yeah. just
0: great. I had a couple of directors that said, uh, said you play comedy for the drama in it. And you play drama for the comedy in it. And I'm sure that that extends to the characterizations as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, just
1: parenthetically about Richard, uh, the the best audition that I ever saw at a network test that didn't get the job was the other person who tested for uh, for Richard Schiff's role, and that was Eugene Levy.
0: Oh wow, he was hard to ima- I mean, it's hard to imagine, but it's not. It would have been. He would have been fabulous, but so different, right? Totally different.
1: Yeah. But, but uh, you know, they have in common uh, a number of things, but, but the uh, Richard just was
0: the best fit. So, so now here we are, you're, you're with Aaron Sorkin and John Wells, and you're going to do this TV show. Now you got to cast it. Where do you start? I know you've read the script about, you must have, you know, a hundred people running through your brain. Uh, what's the well, process yeah, in know, fiving those, finding those you, people? You communicate with agents and
1: managers who you trust and who have good lists. And you, you've sent out a breakdown, which is a description of the roles available, which I typically write and then send to Aaron and Tommy and John for them to all rewrite them. And those descriptions, you know, will say, uh, you know, this 45-year-old man is an idealistic believer in the Democratic Party's political philosophy. He's smart, well-educated, and uh, uh, sometimes unsure of himself. That would be a description of of Brad's character. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pictures and resumes in those days before the internet, They would actually physically come in envelopes that would have to be opened and sorted by me and my staff. Um, And and then I would just start to, with those conversations with representatives and with uh, my own experience and understanding of what I was looking for, begin to set up sessions both for me and for the producers and directors. And then... We would, you know, it would just evolve from there.
0: Do you see the actors before the producers and director get involved?
1: Um, some actors will read for the casting director and some actors only read for the producer and the director
0: um, based on their own stature. I would guess that a, a producer um, would would have some people in mind, especially if one of the uh, executive producers is Aaron Sorkin, who's written the piece. Yeah. He's got he's got to have people in mind that he's interested in, right?
1: Absolutely. I mean, Brad was the the main one of those. Um, you know, uh, obviously, we all knew Rob, and we all, and John Wells and I had worked with John Spencer before, and we loved him and knew that he would. I mean, really, after his audition. Uh, his first audition, I think Aaron, maybe it was Aaron, said, "Damn, I wish we'd filmed that." Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was from the get; he he yeah. just understood uh, Leo and and uh, that wonderful gravelly voice, and you could, you know, he he has. Uh, John had a certain New York toughness, or maybe it was Boston toughness, yeah. but in any event, it was urban toughness. And you could see him um, uh, in a back room in a political, uh, in political warfare, winning. Right. Um, he had that quality that that made you believe that uh, he would never be president because he couldn't be electable because he wasn't, um, he didn't have that public persona. But in the backyard brawl, uh, you could always count on Leo McGarry and
0: you could always count on John Spencer. It was Leo's idea to make uh, Jed Bartlett a presidential candidate to begin with the very first. And he was, he was in there fighting tooth and nail for his man and, and what they had in common and their beliefs. And you would see that uh, the scenes that you're talking about, where he would just go toe to toe with, with anybody in the country. And then, the brilliant turn in the in the series where he went goes home to find that his wife is leaving him because yeah. he's been so totally consumed by this jo- job. I think we've all had that experience. Well, <laughs> to some extent, more or less. Uh, are they, are, do the network executives get involved in casting decisions? Yes, they because they're the
1: buyers. They have the final approvals. So it's a real uh, sporting event where you go to the network with two or three candidates, but with a clear idea of who you want to win the the brass ring at the county fair. um, uh, Alice Janney tested against the fantastically talented CCH Pounder. Uh, And I think in today's climate, where I- inclusion and diversity are uh, rightly moving to the forefront of the casting process, uh, it's possible that Allison wouldn't have gotten that job in 2020 um, uh, because CCH is not only brilliant but African American. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as I just said, uh, uh, Richard Schiff tested opposite. Uh, uh, uh bam senior moment uh gene eugene levy oh, right. and um and 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 fortunately uh all of the testing went the way we wanted it to and rob's gambit played out he, and he did get a firm offer and did not have to test brad also got a firm offer offer and did not have to test if memory serves me mm-hmm. um and and then uh then then the president did become a uh a serious regular and a shift in the script and martin and that happened because martin uh emerged as someone who was
0: interested and available to play the part yeah, yeah when when martin sheen's going to be the president you just don't just drag him out every two or three episodes right no, exactly.
1: But for one reason, I mean, economically you're paying him a pretty penny to play the part. And so you, you want to get your money's worth.
0: Um, it seems like right now, it, it seems, you know, from the viewer's perspective that there are just, there's more, there are more TV shows than ever before. Well, with all the, the streaming and uh, uh, you know, the, the networks uh, are still hanging in there, but are, are the networks losing their, their uh, share of the pie? Is it uh, being distributed uh, in, in such a way as to produce more work and good work for everybody, do you think?
1: Well, yes and no. Um, you know, the, the, the networks are still holding on to their place. But because they are limited in what they can offer uh, in terms of language and sexuality and right. you know, violence. And you know, the, we, we've gotten used to uh, seeing more uh, uh, unique and unusual content on the streaming services and on pay cable and even on basic cable. Um, and so the network shows because of standards and practices are sort of muted. Uh, they're not as colorful and as fully dimensional of the human experience as the shows on streaming. But that said, the streaming shows are on for eight or six or 10 episodes. And then you have to wait a year
0: and a half for the next season. Right. And, uh, and we're all so- binging these days. So we, we finish an entire season in two weeks or less. And then uh, by the time the next batch comes around, we've kind of forgotten about it. Absolutely. And, and I think so
1: a- a- each model has its benefits and it's, and it's, uh, and it's
0: the opposite of benefits, Uh, you know, it's problems, it's issues. Yeah. John, you and I are, I think approximately the same age. So, and you were talking and you made a reference to uh, your hippie days and that's where I come from too. So uh, uh, tell me if you think this is, first of all, if it's accurate and number two, uh, is it just a a sign of, a sign of our era? You know, it just seems that for the past several years, uh, to me, the trend in TV dramas was to make is to make everything the show by its nature and content and its characters, very dark and foreboding. And I find it very difficult to find any, any protagonists, you know, somebody, uh, a character, the main character to truly l- like and, and to cheer for. And the whole thing gets a little depressing. At least it did with Breaking Bad, for example. Uh, I, I, uh, you know, being in radio, everybody's talking about it. It's something you got to talk about. It's uh, what's out there in the culture. So you got to talk about Breaking Bad. I watched 12 episodes and I just said, I just, I can't, I I, I don't care about any of these people. They're not yeah. nice people.
1: <laughs> well, I I understand that. And then, uh, you know, that has very definitely dominated the, the, the thinking in television, uh, in network television, particularly earlier in my career, where everybody often talked about there having to be a point of entry, a worthy adversary, uh, you know, all of those kinds of terms. I mean, certainly uh, on ER, those characters were all heroic. yeah. And even if they were flawed in one respect or another or having difficulty in their relationships, you know, turning to drugs or alcohol or, you know, infidelity or, what you know, lots of things that we might think of as negative, they, they were always heroic and so that that was uh, you know part of the success of the great success of, mm-hmm. of ER um, I think you're right uh, you know I, I'm very attracted personally to dark material both uh, in film and television particularly as an avid reader I read a lot of uh, dark fiction because I think it reveals um, more about the human condition and human nature, because it puts people up against bigger obstacles um, yeah. than the the lighter material, which I think is you know, God knows I love to laugh um, but I, I prefer to laugh interpersonally, and I like my entertainment uh, dark
0: so more than anything it's probably just a matter of taste, um, yeah. Certainly, certainly it probably is. Uh, uh, there's more depth involved in, in uh, doing it both ways. Um, I was, I was about to ask you a question and now i completely forgotten about. Yeah, well, we to... must be about the same age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll be, I'll be 71 on Saturday. I turned 75 in April. Okay. Yeah. Well, at this point. Four years is not a, is not a significant difference. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to ask when, when you get a series and it and you get it running, you get it on its feet and it's, it's often running and the West wing has been running now for several seasons and it's a smash hit. And I know that there are always other casting decisions to be made for each new episode, but does this does it become a full time a single series? Does it become a full time job for you? Or typically, typically, when I was, uh,
1: I, I would I would be doing two series at once, uh-huh. um, and I just have to balance my schedule carefully. But uh, I mean, a show like ER was a full time show because there were usually upwards of twenty and sometimes upwards of twenty five guest players in a weekly episode, and that's a lot.
0: Yeah. 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 What was the toughest show you ever worked and for, and why? Um,
1: Toughest. um, hmm. Well, um, West Wing was tough and, and it was tough because there were, uh, it was the one time where John Wells wasn't always the clear number one because Aaron and Tommy were both so powerful as well. Mm-hmm. And so it, my loyalty was to Wells and uh, sometimes Wells and Sorkin would have a difference of opinion and
0: getting stuck in the middle of that was uh, a, a delicate. <laughs> is that because, um, is that because the, the hierarchy would normally be the executive producer and then uh, maybe other producers be below that, but then and then the writer and certainly a director, because in many series you have many many directors. Uh, yes, it would be you know from top to bottom in that order. But as you say, in this case, uh, all three could be considered the showrunners. Exactly correct, and and also John's
1: focus was uh, greatly on ER in those days where he still was the head writer as well as the final word on every creative decision. And he acceded some of that authority to Aaron and Tommy. Uh, Sometimes they would be in conflict as well. And I actually left the West wing after season two, I did the pilot season one and season two um, to focus on the, uh, the, the 300th episode of ER and, and other projects that we're developing. And also, frankly, um, because Aaron's process, and I've said this before, um, often doesn't leave anybody else uh, room to have their own process. He knows uh, what he wants. He, he knows what he wants. And uh, yes, without, without question. And I admire Aaron's talent and everything, but I, oh, I'm sure I, I think that working uh, that's,
0: for working for him wasn't easy. The admiration is obvious. I don't think you need to need to apologize for anything you say. And I was just sitting here thinking about it, only in different terms. I've known people the same way who are so damn good at the main thing they do that they have the full sense, of the three dimensional grasp of every every nuance that it'd be very hard for him to uh, to listen to suggestions or other ways of, uh, you know, perspectives of doing something that, you know, could maybe uh, maybe improve it in in ways that can't even be imagined. That would be difficult. Yes. I think I read someplace that you have uh, you have a couple of kids or adults, adult children. Yes, I do. And grandchildren. No grandchildren uh, no. still hoping <laughs> it's a life changer All right, oh, one yeah. other question about casting and I've been mentioning children is um, uh, being in your business I've got to guess that you about every third person you meet says you should you should see my little girl she is so <laughs> talented she has she's so expressive and when we give her something to read it's just amazing I think she'd be wonderful in TV and movies. What do you say to those people? Uh, please
1: send me the picture of them and I'll uh, be happy to give them my uh, attention and And we'll see what happens. I, I, I'm not, I'm neither. I try to be neutral. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, uh, every, as you, as you rightly point out, uh, everybody uh, thinks their uh, offspring or cousins or sisters, daughters, husband's mother uh, is the cat's meow. And, and, uh, yeah. once in a while they are, and almost always they aren't. <laughs>
0: right. That's brilliant, though. I mean, you're just being, you're, you're telling them what they want to hear, and but doing it in such a way that uh, maintains your professionalism and nobody can question whatever comes of that or not. That's great. So tell me about the book.
1: Well, you know, the pandemic uh, rendered me uh, bored for the first time, since i was seven um and uh i did a podcast with an acting teacher here in la named sherry shaw and uh, who i had known for many years and uh it, it basically was broadcast to her many many students and um what kind of students were they what was what, what she students. acting yeah okay yeah she's, she's an act a prominent acting teacher here in la and after we finished she said god you know we could do 10 hours your stories are funny and you know your experience is interesting and uh, uh, you should write a book and i have been told that once before by a, an agent um and I, um i'm very intimidated by the idea because i come from a family of writers my dad wrote for the new york times my brother was a columnist on the washington post my mom was a phd scientist who wrote grants uh for you know giant research million dollar research projects uh so i i never wrote a word i could i tried not to um but i i i thought to myself huh maybe i should and so i met with this woman trudy roth who had actually helped sherry write a, a, a book um and uh we started talking and um, Zooming, and uh, she gave me assignments. Uh, every day I had to send her an email of a memory uh, at least once a day, sometimes twice a day. Um, and I did that for four or five or six months, uh, typing up on, on my phone, <laughs> uh, something that something that popped into my head a funny story or a poignant moment or a a great triumph or a horrible failure or all of the various things that could and did happen in my professional life. Eventually, Trudy and I were able to meet in person. And we connected, really, we had connected greatly on, on, on the Zooms. But when we met in person, we really connected, and she drew out things in me that were uh, both about my personal life and and my professional life. Um, she's a, she's a, just a fantastic person, and uh, she'll be a friend for life. Um, but, and and through that, I I you know, it's funny. Obviously, I I knew that I had the Emmy awards and I knew that ER once upon a time, 40 million people watched it. And I knew that the West wing had hit a nerve in smart people across the country. And I, I knew that China beach had been a, a innovative and creative, wonderful success. And that other work I had done was, uh, you know, better than average. Uh, um, and, and, uh, But I never really put it all together. And working with Trudy gave me the perspective on my life and my career that um, I had had impact. And that's the great glory of the experience. If the book sells, if people read it or like it or don't or whatever, um, obviously I care. but, um, But I've already gotten the great reward of this perspective on my life and my career, which uh, is is damn meaningful and uh, quite extraordinary for me to come to grips with the fact that uh, that I have had impact and that that uh, television uh, is one of the great social cauldrons. Uh, you know, the, and we're just the witches stirring it up at the beginning of
0: Macbeth. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I think you get, get a little more credit than that. You're right. Uh, what we uh, used to look at is just, uh, who was it that called it uh, uh, eye candy? Yeah. You know, I, it, it is so, so important to, uh, to society as a whole. It, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think to, go
1: ahead. ER made a whole generation of people want to be nurses and doctors yeah, yeah. And, and 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 the West Wing made. I mean, I, my uh, my nephew is married to a wonderful young woman who works in government um, largely because of, of the
0: West Wing. It, that's wonderful. And it gives it gives us something to talk about at work. Uh, yeah. It gives us a, 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 a touching a touchstone that we're we have in common, and we're able yeah, to talk absolutely. about. And it and it you know it has nothing to do with the uh, the horrible stresses that we're all faced with on a day to day basis. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, I, I used
1: to one of the most wonderful moments of my life would be the act one break after the after the teaser they call it you know the opening scene yeah. of ER my phone always rang at 10 11 on Thursday night. And whoever got in first was calling me to tell me, Oh my God, what happened? And it was, it was, I was watching too. It was damn exciting.
0: As we're talking about this right now, your book has not, has not uh, been been printed yet, but I assume that the, uh, the, the work is done. The editing editing is done, and that it, uh, it's going to press and all that stuff. Do you have a title? Yeah, it's called "Write for the Role." Write for the role. That I'm, makes sense. I'm uh,
1: I, it, the book is largely about my experiences in television and 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 the backstory, raising the curtain on all of these iconic television shows. But it's also about um, my need to be part of a team and my finding my place in a community of people, all pulling on the same end of the rope as Tommy Lasorda used to say. Yeah. You know, uh, playing for the name. Uh-oh.
0: We got a hiccup in the connection. You've just frozen on my screen. Oh, okay, I'm moving. Back up to as as Tommy Lasorda said.
1: Tommy Lasorda always used to say that uh, you know when you're on a team you're all pulling on the same end of the rope.
0: Yeah,
1: and uh, uh, you know and, and uh, you, you know you're playing for the the name on the front of the jersey, the team name, and not the name on the back of the jersey, which is the individual's name. And I always loved being part of a group, of a team, and I and I've always. Uh, you know, thought that community was the greatest problem solver. That if, if you're all working together, you can, you can really accomplish anything. And, and uh, my career and the career of all the peers and colleagues that I've been able to collaborate with have proven that, that, uh, you know, and when, when, the, when the team is at odds and in, and in dissonance, um, it's a lot harder to accomplish anything. So, so the book is greatly about that, as in the context of all of these uh, stories and uh, backstage kinds of uh, uh, observations.
0: It's obvious that you're that you still love what you do, and uh, uh, because of that, and as I said before, you and I are essentially the same age. If you love what you do, you're just going to do it until you can't do it anymore or until they throw you out, or until you keel over at your desk, or what have you. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful insight to reach at a you know, particular age, to feel that you've really done something useful in your life, and that you've, uh, you know, you've made your own little spot in the world worthwhile, and uh, in some small way, you've made, made the world better. Yeah, I
1: couldn't agree more, and uh, when my book is published, and I give a copy of it to John Wells, Um, um, I'm going to inscribe it and say, thank you for giving me the opportunity to have meaningful work.
0: Can't add anything to that. What a a side question, and I may not, uh, that was such an obvious, perfect ending to the conversation. Uh, Let me just ask you a couple of, two more questions I've got. that. If I find a place to put it in, well, if I like it, you know, I don't know, but I, I'm I am curious. Are you? What are you working on now? Right now? Uh, well,
1: I'm I'm actually mainly focused on my book at the moment. Uh-huh.
0: You know, um, as
1: I said, I think earlier, and and rightly so, uh, there comes a time when the people who have been prominent uh, are, for various uh, uh, correct reasons, uh, begun to be less prominent i have a joking t-shirt which i haven't made yet but i may it says hashtag too old hashtag too male hashtag too straight hashtag too white <laughs> um and and all you know white men have had it damn good for a hell of a long time and uh it, it's absolutely time that we share the podium with everybody who has something to say and um uh, and and we'll carry on the legacy of our good work by doing their good work. um and so uh when both shameless and animal kingdoms ended their production in august of last year i have quite frankly found it very difficult to get new work. uh fortunately the because right you're old low, because you're old and white p- partly yeah well, uh, 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 you know, I've been, been able to focus on right for the role in lieu of that. And if I get offered a, a, a great project, I'll certainly do it. Uh, uh, I hope it's not completely over, because as you correctly observe, I have loved casting. I have loved every minute, even the challenging and difficult minutes, uh, maybe especially those. Um and I, I um, still capable of doing it, but if it's time to pass the
0: torch, so be it. Absolutely, completely understand and completely agree with that. But let me ask you something else. Now we, look. If I if I'm taking too much of your time, just say so. But no hell, uh, I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. My day's done. Um, you know? Do you know Ken Levine? I do not. Okay. He he uh, he wrote. He wrote a lot of sitcoms. Uh, he wrote for MASH. He wrote for, he wrote oh. Cheers. He wrote, and he directed many of the episodes of Cheers. And uh, I, I'm, I'm the death and dying casting director. I, they never let me do anything funny. <laughs> well, Ken is a friend and uh, we're supposed to talk. He's got his own wonderful podcast called Hollywood and Levine. And uh, we're supposed <laughs> to talk. We're going to talk and uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to him about was this whole business about getting older and uh, as you so uh, so accurately point out you know old white men well yeah white men have had it uh, had it very good for a long time but so first of all it's a it's a wonderful thing to be able to age and come through this entire social process and and reach the conclusion that that you just uh, beautifully articulated it's time to let everybody else in the game, right?
1: Yeah, uh, and the, the pendulum has to swing as it does naturally so that old white men uh, can still contribute right. with their experience and their talent. And, and uh, uh, you know, that w- that's, we don't suddenly become the, uh, the victim of, 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 of uh, a certain kind of bias but uh but at the same time acknowledging that we have had it damn good
0: right so my my last question i think well, this is my third last question to you uh one of the things that i want to talk to ken about ken has had i i shouldn't presume this but i i'm un- of the opinion that as as wonderful as his resume is for heaven's sake he was he was the head writer for mash yeah <laughs> And and cheers and Fraser and and I'm leaving a, a show or two out, but you know he's he's not done anything along those lines in a long time. And my guess is simply that you know he's finding it hard to work because because he's older, and because everybody in the business presumably has these ideas of doing doing things differently, and uh, you know. Uh, well, that was yesterday, and this is today. Is there, do you find do you find that to be true in in the industry there? Um, growingly, yes. Um,
1: you know, I mean, I, I, again, I, I mean, I think we're saying the same thing. Um, it, it certainly is time for gay teenagers to see themselves on television. Yeah, it's certainly time for. But you can cast that. You could sure. cast that show. Well, uh, without question, I, I mean, uh, once years and years and years ago, um, I had um, uh, two young comedy writers w- 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 during the heyday of ER met with me to talk to me about their show, which was going to be sort of even younger Friends. Mm-hmm. And um, they they said to me, straightforwardly, I was in my early 50s, I guess, then, and uh, they said to me, you know, this is about young romance. What do you know about any of that? <laughs> and I, I said, well, for, for one thing, I was once young uh, and in love. And also, I'm recently divorced, so it's all I ever think about. <laughs> uh, but and then I declined to do their show because I found them so arrogant. Yeah, um, uh, uh, You know, uh, Two, two things I'd like to say before we, before we sign off. One is, uh, ask Ken if he'd like to have me on his podcast. We might have fun talking as well. Absolutely. Uh, he, he has half of the iconic television shows, and I have maybe the other half. <laughs> uh, uh, we might be able to meet at uh, Sunset and Vine, or Hollywood and Levine. Right. And the other thing is that one of the great things that happened with the book, is that I sent an email out to actors, writers, and directors, producers that I have worked with over the years and just said, hey, I've done this audacious thing. I've written a book about professional memoir. How would you feel about sharing a few sentences about your experiences working with me as a casting director mm-hmm. uh, over, over the years? And I expected maybe somewhere between 10 and 20% response. Some liner notes, yeah. for for blurbs on the back cover or whatever. And and now there's going to be a chapter at the end of the book because 85% of the people responded and none of them understood the concept of a few sentences. (laughs) Um, And so, again, that was uh, one one of my very favorite responses. Many of them were so flattering and lovely, but one of them which was so funny, which was from Carol Flint, who was a writer on China beach and ER and uh, many other shows that I worked on. She wrote, is there really a book, John, or are you just collecting accolades? (laughs) And I I said, I always wanted to go to my funeral and still be alive. (laughs) This
0: is what that's like. I'm going to leave you with my favorite story about uh, 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 a wonderfully successful entertainer. Uh, as he was getting older, being asked about, uh, you know, isn't it time to let other people on? And I'm talking about, I've read this, I think, about 10 or 12 years ago, and I was working in Chicago at the time. Um, somebody asked Paul McCartney. They, he came to town, and uh, somebody doing an interview said, well, uh, you know, you've been you've been around and you've been center stage for so long. Don't you think it's time to, I'm paraphrasing, of course, he said, don't you think it's time to uh, move aside and let some of the younger acts up and Paul said, and I'm not paraphrasing this: "Fuck them. Let them work their way up like I did." <laughs> yeah, I, I can certainly get behind that sentiment. John, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I've really, really enjoyed talking with you, and uh, we will Thank again. You. I appreciate it very much. What's your audience, Dave? What we I, I do? Uh, I do a news talk morning show with a with a woman. Um, and, and what we try to do is to take, to take all of the, uh, um, uh, to take, to take all the political rants out of it. We try to tell people, uh, okay, here's what, here's, here's what the news is, but you know, you might want to take this with a pound of salt. I mean, we try to put <laughs> some perspective in it, talk like real people. Um, this morning I was on a, I was yelling about, uh, not yelling, but, uh, talking about, these all these ins, these headlines and the news no, no matter where you look if it's tv or if it's a print or online publication they're all set up to scare us to death they yeah. want us they want us upset they want us worried they want us at each other's throats you know everything is clickbait and said so if you just if you just uh, you, you you find yourself responding to that kind of thing uh, go ahead and google this, the 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 subject matter and then find three or four different, actually, Google's not the best way to do that because they're biased, but, you know, find, find different perspectives, try to find, find out the information without all the hype and the, and the, and the uh, yeah. sensationalism. And I'm sorry, that's just the world that we live in. But we have a lot of fun and we do a lot of laughing. And uh, our, our demographic is like, oh, 30-something to 60-something. Essentially, so cool. It's it's a you know it's a, as I've been in radio for fifty three years. It, it beats living. It beats working for a living. I mean, yes, exactly. And you know, you 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 have uh, some
1: things vocally and temperamentally in common with our mutual friend J D, who I adore. Uh, uh, what a great guy! He how is. do you know him? We met uh, at, at the bar at a neighborhood restaurant. Um, I actually thought when someone said uh introduced me to him as JD I thought shit is it JD souther? <laughs> uh and it was JD Hinton uh, yeah. and we just found that we we uh had a mutual respect and uh and had a bunch of laughs and you know we we had our own sort of cheers at that bar mm-hmm. and uh uh JD and I became friends and we see each other uh, uh on the uh the
0: margarita highway i uh i met somebody yesterday this is why i this is why i've decided to do this podcast you are i think you're my ninth or 10th interview i um, mean it's going to go forever because i love it and and the whole idea is for for so many years i've been decades i've been doing uh, radio where you interview people and and uh, you know you got 5 minutes and you got three or four questions and that's it we got to move on and the way i always express that to people is like it's like uh, it doesn't matter who i'm talking to we've got these interruptions and we've got all of this clutter in the format that you can't do anything about i could be saying well we've been talking with jesus christ um uh, lord it's uh, been great i wish we had more time but it's time for us to stop and check for traffic you know so <laughs> And never really get to have a good conversation with people. Yeah. And it's it's driven me crazy. So now with podcasting, you have this opportunity where there's there's no length that gets in the way except that which your common sense dictates. And uh, you know, it's and it's an opportunity to meet people. And I came home from work yesterday, or my wife came home from work yesterday afternoon. How was your day? I said it was great. And I said, I ha- I made a new friend. She went, No, really? Because I'm a hermit. I stay in the house. I don't go anywhere. I said, yeah, the guy that cut my hair, he's about 35 years old. He's black and he's got long braids and we couldn't be more demographically different, but we started talking and we both came away swapping phone numbers and promising we were going to get together again and talk. And, uh, I, I think that sort of thing is, uh, you know, it's one of the great reasons for living. And I think most people have no no clue of, of how that feels to make that yeah, kind of contact. I, I completely
1: agree. Uh, it, when Once years ago, I was sitting at a dinner party with four couples and all of the men were college educated, uh, Jewish, smart, funny guys. And they were each married to... Uh, they're beautiful, smart, funny, uh, not Jewish women. And I thought to myself, I- I'm in a, 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 a one color world. I need to get out and, and meet people who aren't like me. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, all of us do. And if we did that, we'd stop being scared of each other. And, uh, and and we could figure out you know who to
0: be scared of and who not to be scared of. <laughs> Maybe in the 21st century, we're we're getting close to being uh, to, to finding our way out of the uh, innate tribalism in humanity. I guess. Yeah, I, I, I hope.